go. All right, we are on the air. Sash, are you on the air by you? I am. Excellent. Sorry for the brief delay, everybody. I had a few technical issues that we were getting solved, but I think uh, we've worked together uh, something right now. Uh, so um, in any case, we're about ready to go. So in five, four, three, two, one. Hello, all you tubers and Twitchers out there. Welcome to the Could You Do It Better podcast, where filmmaker, gamer extraordinaire, and the behind-the-scenes awesomeness known as Sesh, and the writing and directing sensation known as Maria discuss popular television shows and movies, and answer the always controversial question of, could you do it better? Today, we will be discussing episode six of Damon Lindelof's The Watchmen television series as inspired by Alan Moore's graphic novel. And as for me, I'm Jonathan. And unlike our two experts, have no industry experience whatsoever. In other words, I'm much like the American Hero TV show. Completely unknowledgeable, prone to slow motion and freezing, and inaccurate to the point of being an affront to history. And now, to Sesh and Maria! Woo! We made it! It's good to be back. It is. I know, I know, I know. We're sorry about that. We did not expect to be delayed this long, but, uh, you know, production schedules, you know how it is. I like, I like to say tech happens. <laughs> um, well, in any case, uh, uh, you know, before we get to our recap, as mandated by our legal department, yes. um, I, I guess we should start off with two things. So the first is spoiler warning. That's right. We're going to break down Watchmen episode six in detail and analyze its major themes. So if you haven't yet watched the episode and you don't want spoilers, then as usual, please feel free to put us on mute while you do and then re-listen to us later such that we can double those viewing numbers. Mm -hmm. yes. Solve that? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, second. Uh, I like to think we all try and have a good time around here, blending humor with analysis and insight. And as you well know by now, the intros and recaps especially are a time we use to throw down one-liners like we're Bruce Campbell in Army of Darkness without worrying too much about what's PC or not and just, you know, trying to have a good laugh. That said, uh, this episode is of a particularly harsh and serious nature as it deals with racism, hatred, and lynchings in a rather realistic manner. And aside for Lori Blake's moments, tends to avoid the characteristic dark humor it typically employs. As such, while I personally don't describe very much to quote-unquote trigger warnings, as I think everyone has their own beliefs on what is tasteful or not as comedy, for this recap, we're going to do our best to navigate through it using humor where we think we tastefully can and be a bit more traditional where we think it would come off as tasteless. While we are hopeful our humor hits the mark, we understand sometimes it may miss. And where it does will be different on a person-by-person -person basis. Um, just know that when we write these, our goal is to entertain and bring some much-needed humor, laughter, and joy to all of you. And in fact, that's really our purpose for doing this show. Uh, and we really have no desire to make jokes simply for the purpose of being inflammatory, nor do we desire to do the disservice of putting a laugh track over something as such a serious, serious nature like lynchings. 
So thank you for your understanding as we do our best to try and tread this razor thin line as well as we can while still providing you with the comedy and entertainment we include in every episode. And now to the recap as mandated by our legal department. <laughs> All right, so recap. We begin in an episode of Zack Snyder's fantasy schlock TV show, American Hero where detectives Cagney and Lacey have arrested Hooded Justice for walking while masked. Doing their best version of bad cop smarmy cop, they try blackmailing the Hooded Avenger by threatening to post nude headshots to their Instagram, unless he steals some homemade X-rated films for them from another dude's house. Uh, no, seriously. Um, Hooded Justice takes off his hood and proceeds to do some headshots of his own on Starsky and Hutch's now bloodied bodies. Cut to present day Angela in her own personal hell in a cell as shockingly downing a bottle of illegal drugs has negative side effects. Lori wants to pump Angela's stomach for info, but Angela's drug and memory addled brain has other ideas, like taking her into a fantasy dreamland of her granddaddy's memories powered by black and white dream vision. It's 1938, and Angela is in her granddad's body at a police graduation ceremony. Aspects of segregation are present at this point, as the chief acknowledges everyone but Will, instead opting for his black lieutenant to badge him. The lieutenant tells him to beware the Cyclops, bewildering Will, and resulting in Will's throwing out of Homer's Odyssey and his aversion to the lesser-known prequel to a popular film where a one-eyed Harrison Ford attempts to evade Marshal Tommy Lee Jones in an attempt to find his wife's killer. We skip ahead to Will's first day on the beat, where he witnesses a Nazi and Klan sympathizer try bringing Kristallnacht to America by throwing a Molotov cocktail through the window of a Jewish delicatessen and burning it down. Will arrests him, and despite the arsonist proclaiming overtly racist lines of innocence, the young white cops there assist Will and process the arrest while also making an odd hand gesture so deliberate and obvious it could be seen from space. Cut to next day, where Will sees the sympathizer ar arsonist walking free. That is a hard series of words to say. He goes to the police station trying to determine why he was let go and is told politely to drop it for his own safety. Cut to later that night, where those kind white police officers drive next to Will on his way home offering him a ride, some drinks, and um, violent assault, lynching, and hanging him from a tree to the brink of death, followed by threatening him to stay with his own kind or they won't cut him down next time. Will stumbles home, noose around his neck, cloth hood in his hands, when he sees an armed robbery taking place. He puts on the hood so they won't see his skin color and incapacitates the attackers. The couple he saved thanks him and Will, a man who spent his life believing in justice and trusting in the law, tells his wife what happened and admits he's angry. His wife informs him the badge he wears will not bring justice, and the only justice he will ever get is by wearing the mask. We find out that this is Hooded Justice's origin story, and that what you see on TV isn't always true. Right. <laughs> Skip ahead to Hooded Justice tracking the cops to the back of a grocery store, finding out they're secretly clan members into mesmerism, and proceeds to kick their behinds all over the lettuce aisle <laughs> before jumping out a plate glass window to avoid being shot. We move ahead to a dashing Captain Metropolis coming to Will's house, asking him for Hooded Justice to join the Minutemen. 
His wife warns him she's seen the movie Get Out and to stay away from white people trying to be nice to him and woke as they'll just try to take advantage of him. Will says that if anyone's going to be screwing, it's going to be him. And he proceeds to screw Captain Metro twice, only to realize riding the Metro doesn't necessarily get you anywhere as the <laughs> captain tells him to keep the mask on to cover up his skin color or else he won't be accepted. <laughs> Whew, Will comes back from his seedy one-night stand with his mister Is to find out his wife is pregnant. It's safe to say, one way or another, that mistakes have been made. <laughs> Move ahead to a bloodbath at a movie theater in a black neighborhood where it appears mesmerism was used through a film projector to get the black moviegoers to commit violence. No comment on whether the showing of Twilight oh. contributed to the carnage in any way. Oh, no. <laughs> Will follows the evidence, and guess what? It leads to a meatpacking plant owned by the Nazi and Klan sympathizer he tried arresting earlier. He calls Captain Metropolis for help, only to find out that Minutemen aren't interested in solving, quote, unquote, black issues. The sympathizer shows up and says a wide variety of, racial, of racist epithets. Will snaps and shoots him in the head. He then enters the plant as hooded justice, killing everyone inside, including two of the three uh, police officers uh, who tried to kill him. He enters a secret room to find the third white police officer, adding white superiority subliminal messages to a film, and hooded justice strangles him off with a phone cord. Then, mm. stacking the bodies like s'mores and making a bonfire burning the entire place down, saving only the film projector. He goes back home to find his child wearing a homemade costume. He is appalled at what he sees, and his wife tells him her and her son are leaving him because he gave in to his anger and rage. Gosh, who would have thought that would happen? Memory jump to near present day. Will is an old man in a wheelchair waiting by the tree Sheriff Judd was hanged at. He uses a flashlight mesmerizing Judd to hang himself. And with that, Angela awakens from her drug-induced coma to find herself in Lady True's private chambers. This episode was brought to you by Race Sprayer Paint Incorporated. Race Sprayer makes state-of-the-art airbrushes that allow you to whiteface or blackface <laughs> at a moment's notice to make your friends and colleagues feel less uneasy or scared by your appearance. <laughs> race Sprayer Paint Incorporated. We're the race on the outside. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, yep. Mandated by our legal department. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing that we are required to do that. I'm just posting we're live. Yes, yes. Please do post we're live. All right. Well, that was an amazing intro. Thank mm, you. Mm, you are welcome. I will make sure not to ride the metro anytime soon. <laughs> Okay, well, let's, get... <laughs> um, let's get started. We're going to begin with our first question. So if you were in Will Reeves' shoes and got the job that you idolized only to find it rife with injustice and hatred to the point of you being beaten and hanged and al almost to death by the, your colleagues, how would you react? Um, let's start with Sesh today. Well, how would I react? 
Uh, for one, I would be very angry too. It's infuriatingly disappointing uh, that that's what he stepped into. Um, obviously, it was a dream job for him too. Um, if this wasn't a satisfyingly violent vigilante general revenge story, I'd suggest Will speak with his one peer, the one person who actually shook his hand. I'm saying that knowing very well, even in this fictional Watchmen world, that where there was going to be nothing he ultimately could do to make them pay for what they did within the system, because they ran the system, they are the system. But in a less dramatic show, having a friend to talk to may have helped with the anger and maybe some of the other things he was going through. Either way, I'm pretty surprised he stayed there to do that job, uh, regardless of becoming hooded justice and that being something that soothed his anger. Uh, he could have moved. Other towns needed cops, too. I probably would have done that, and most people uh, would have, I think, too. But I think they... They showed how gratifying his new hooded passion is for him. Um, still meaning there. And, <laughs> I mean, his anger therapy was just really satisfying for him. So, it makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sesh. Well, for me, um, <laughs> I would have probably thought, you know, perhaps this door has just closed for mm. me and maybe another one will open. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would probably become a recluse uh, with uh, 10 dogs living in a forest, eating mushrooms to survive. <laughs> um, I would think over my life before I made any new decisions. I probably would ruminate over this, um, you know, ways to deal, maybe entertain ideas about how I could tell somebody who might care, maybe the media. Um, uh, but I pretty much give up and live in depression for the rest of my life. Uh, Tibet. Oh, Tibet. That would be nice. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I, I feel like I wouldn't have a chance of winning ever. That would be Aww. my feeling. What do you, What's your say on this, Jonathan? Um, so I think this is really a question of what our core driver is when things are at their worst. And really, I think it all boils down to our one key emotion. You know, for some, it's melancholy. Other, it's fear. Some other, it's humor. Um, for me, it's honestly not too dissimilar from our friend Will here uh, in something akin to a, to a focused rage. You know, perhaps it was all the sports I played when I was younger, but I'm the type of person who gets fueled by, by disrespect and mistreatment by, by others. You know, you knock me down, I'll get back up stronger, angrier, and more focused on defeating you. You wrong me, I'll use it to fuel your downfall. And if you're foolish enough to purposely hurt me or a loved one, well, <laughs> uh, I will utilize whatever emotional connections you have to completely isolate and ruin you. Mm. You know, I, for one, uh, think there are worse things than death and also less personally incriminating things than assault, murder and arson like Will decided to implement. So what I would have done instead was I would have played the game. Uh, I'd behave muted and diminutive, make my colleagues think they're ma they've made a lasting mark on me. And all the while, I'd be listening and learning the routines, um, basically their family members, their loved ones, uh, their business. And one by one, I would sow seeds of, of discord and, and destruction, first by mm. separating them from their families and friends, mm. uh, by either anonymously uh, showing their loved ones improprieties or insinuating them, 
Uh, then by separating them from their job, by putting them in a circumstance where they're caught on the take uh, and being a public embarrassment to the police department. And then finally, by separating them from their colleagues, by making it seem like one of them sold the rest of them out. And finally, once they're publicly known as the disgraced cops, which they are, I'd anonymously give the media insight into their despicable actions. And I would do this all from the background. Hmm. Sure, strangling them off in their warehouse <laughs> and burning down their operations seems like a more fitting version of revenge. Uh, but personally, I think there's a special poetry to giving really bad people some rope and a spotlight and just allow the world to watch them hang themselves. That's solid. That's solid. You I mean, about this. That's evil. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how you would pull it off because I feel like if you were him, they would connect that you're doing it because you would be, you would always be there listening or be there somehow involved. Like you'd need a, you need an extra pair of eyes or hands to do it. It's time. Outside. I think mm -hmm. it's timing more than anything. Hmm. You take your time. Um, and you don't rush it. You you play for a while. But when you're in the police department, you just sit in here. Mm. When they're talking to their colleagues about their life, mm. you're just listening. You aren't doing anything. And you don't make it seem like you're listening. You seem like you're working on whatever. But That's whenever fair. you're there in the area, you're basically taking notes. Mm. And then since he's able to track each of them without a problem in this show, sure. the same thing at night, see their whereabouts. I'm sure all three of those cops are not the most subtle people, in the right? World. <laughs> or, uh, or, or the cleanest, no secret related people in the world. Uh, so, good points. I. That's probably true. I think it just requires a lot of patience. It does. So much patience. It does. Levels of patience. It does. It's the long game. It's the long game. Best served cold. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. All right. So our next question of the night is, if you had a hypnotizing machine, could you use it better than hanging the local sheriff? Sash, let's start with you. Oh, man, could I use that better? Wow. <laughs> uh, how, how well does it work? Can you just make people not racist with it? Like, is that an option? That's the like hope, right? An option. Make it docile. That would definitely help with some things, you know? <laughs> Uh, but that's probably wishful thinking. Uh, to be honest, I'm really surprised we didn't see him use it more over the course of the years, uh, testing it out, making people, you know, docile, or actually just sicking clansmen against each other. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, like, punching people over <laughs> that many decades is satisfying, but I would think he would get tired and be okay just hypnotizing clan members to fight each other and beat themselves up even, or... I mean, not even having to kill themselves, but just beat themselves up even. Um, and start convincing people to give them free meals at restaurants, go on cruises, you know, do some things to help not be so dang angry all the time and help society. I, I think there's a lot of uses of that that we just didn't see. And it would have been really nice to see that uh, it had limitations. But yeah. without knowing that it had limitations, hell yeah, I would have done it. <laughs> So I'm going to sound like Miss America with my answer, but if I had a mesmerism machine, I would use it primarily on myself. Um, I think if I could literally do all the things I wanted without getting in my own way, that would be pretty amazing. 
But in seriousness, I would use the machine to hypnotize people into giving to the poor, helping the homeless, <laughs> making infrastructures to help all levels of society. And once that's accomplished, I would mesmerize people into believing that anyone else is not less than or should be persecuted. Anything. And so that the masses, including the KKK people, will all stop their tendencies towards violence and violence. That, yes, get the toast out of racism. That's right. That's right. That, that's is, right. that is so sweet. <laughs> I have realized that based on my first two answers to this question, <laughs> that I clearly am the one with problems oh, in, this, no. <laughs> in this group. And I might have to work on that. In fact, HR is looking at me, just staring holes in me right now. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is why I'm an, I'm an intern here. I'm, I'm fully disposable. So my answer is, oh heck yes! Uh, you know my calls to IT support and cable providers would be so much more effective. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Can you imagine all the red tape and bureaucracy you'd be able to cut through just by hypnotizing your service providers, your <laughs> colleagues, or business to actually be helpful and not put silly roadblocks in your way? Wow, what a life that would be. That's what I'm saying. Whoa. You make your life easier. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He could have used it to manipulate his wife to stay with him. Oh, that's wrong. He could have. I'm just saying this could be used for dark purposes. It, it could okay, be. I'm going to say, I think it kind of zombifies you. So you're not going to want to use it on people you actually like. Mm -hmm. And does he have to continue the flashing the whole time? Probably. It's like, get that out of my face. You love me. <laughs> Right. Or here, like you said, here, donate to the poor. You're not going to get that money back. Exactly. You're not being flashed. Like, it's perfect. All right. So our third question of the night is, could you have handled what Will was going through better than June did? That's his wife. Uh, Sesh, you want to get started? Uh, keyword here is therapy. <laughs> um, even just talking could have really helped some and communication is so important in a relationship. I actually found this a little frustrating because she knew what he was doing. Unlike so many superhero stories where they're living yeah. a secret double life, which inherently causes relationship conflict and those stories. Um, but this one didn't have that. I honestly find it hard to um, see the reasons why they yeah. weren't talking more. Yeah. It definitely seemed like venting would help more. Um, but I wouldn't put it all on her or all on him. It could have been him resisting a lot. Um, we didn't see a whole lot of real, their relationship to get a whole lot from it. Um, we saw a lot there, but it didn't specifically really indicate one thing or the other. Like we're just assuming like this outburst he had with his son wasn't the first necessarily and it was probably more but we didn't really see any of those it wasn't we didn't see any real trends we didn't see that they weren't talking it yeah. was just all of a sudden they weren't talking and we saw the beginning of his journey and she was a hundred percent in on it like she's there for the conversation uh with the minimum and giving her opinion and that kind of just disappears so i thought i thought it was a little a little odd <laughs> so yeah. it's it's hard to say i mean i don't think they neither of them really handled it that well and it's kind of hard to pinpoint the reason why 
Yeah, just like in, in real life, it seems that uh, lack of communication or not communicating effectively is mm -hmm. the biggest uh, biggest downfall to, to all relationships and to all life. So yeah. it's true. It's tough. You know, um, I personally didn't think he had anger issues. I think he had oppression issues. I mean, everywhere in his life, he was not treated well. Um, and he didn't seem like an angry guy. He really didn't. I mean, I know he killed people, but <laughs> it just, he seemed pretty calm. Like he seemed like he was trying to be a normal guy. He was trying to live a good life, but he ran into this horrible um, situations that how are you going to get out of it outside of, of retribution? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So if I were June, I wouldn't be mad at him or mistrustful. I mean, I, June was the one that encouraged him to be hooded justice in the first place. So I, I would be afraid for him. I would probably learn karate to help him up his game. Um, I would also use my reporting skills to try to take down the Cyclops. Um, I don't think I would worry about judging him because it is the world that he that keeps burning around him and attacking him. Um, so he, he was innocent to me. I, I think his responses all, are all coming from trauma, you know. Like if I was in a burning house and freaking out, you know, you wouldn't be judging me for freaking out that I'm in a burning house. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if innocence <laughs> the word I'd use, <laughs> but point made. Thank you. <laughs> um, so for me, I, I think so. You know, when you're dealing with someone who has gone through tremendous loss or a grave injustice, it's important to give them someone to talk to, to communicate with, to share their feelings, despite it honestly probably not being feelings you want to hear. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, it's to serve as a tether for them to something good and positive in this world and not as an enabler for all the bad thoughts that are constantly running through their heads. Oh, hmm. You know, telling someone that the only way for them to get justice is to give in to their darker thoughts and desires and then getting angry with them when they become that out of control vigilante you convince them to become? I mean, what what do you really expect there? That's That's terrible advice. She needed to get him to put down the file folder of vengeance and the hood and to see the light and hope in their child, you know, not just leave with the child. Okay, so he was stopping bad guys. I mean, he wasn't really giving in to a dark thing. He was actually helping society where the police weren't. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I'm just, I'm wondering why she didn't want to help more as a reporter. Yeah. I think it gets to a point, mm -hmm. right? Because there was a point, you make a good point there. Um, but I think there's a difference between doing what you're doing for justice and doing what you're doing out of vengeance. Hmm. And I think that might be a fine line. Now, now it's true. What Sesh said earlier, especially, we didn't see a lot of that on film, mm -hmm. right? And the actor didn't portray himself as overly angry. The mm -hmm. only thing we hear about him being overly angry is from his yeah. wife. Yeah. And then from uh, the American Hero TV show, which talked about how he was always angry. Yeah. Um, but we've already shown in this episode alone that that TV show doesn't know anything about what actually happened. And as for, as for his wife, she was angry. 
She yeah. was very angry. She was livid about everything that was going on as well. We didn't really see it from him. But there did get to a point where you definitely saw with Will that it wasn't about justice anymore. Hmm. Like if it was truly about justice, while the the Nazi and the and the Klan sympathizer, mm -hmm. well, he was clearly a terrible person or a bad person. Shooting him unarmed hmm. probably shouldn't have done that. I mean, I'd actually I want to pull up one other point that like with him, like yeah, we don't see that he's angry, but I felt like we absolutely did have a distinction from when he was angry versus when he was just being a regular guy, just like Angela when they wear the mask that comes out of them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point that he actually became this character, this caricature of himself, hmm. you know, and he had good intentions at first, you know, but I don't think they were lasting good intentions. And if hmm. you see where he got to in life yeah. at the end, he's made some questionable choices throughout his life and is it really for the benefit of humanity right he thinks in his mind it is mm -hmm. but just because you think that you're doing things to benefit doesn't mean that that's actually your yeah your cause so well you make a really good point about intention behind your actions and that makes all the difference that's very interesting yeah um, I think it was warped over time, like maybe it was for humanity and for a greater cause, but I think it got warped and I almost think even wouldn't say it was for humanity anymore. Yeah. 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 So our next question, our last question, I believe, oh, second to last is, could you do a better job at getting justice than hooded justice? Um, Sesh, why don't you start it off? Well, I'll stand by that violence just doesn't change people's minds. And really a lot of what he was battling against was the way people think. Hmm. Being a people who legit deserve it is something that can be really satisfying to watch in a lot of fiction for a lot of people. And it can make some good stories too, but it's not real world effective. He didn't actually really have any winning moments um, where he accomplished something or he really changed something other than uh, killing people or anything <laughs> eventful during uh, all of his middle life. We didn't see yeah. any of that. And True. people needed their minds changed, not their asses beaten, really. <laughs> uh, I think in this story, that's why we still see so much racism in the modern day. Um, mm. The thought is still there. Like the thought hasn't gone away. It's changed um, over time, and yeah, it's better for sure. Like Tulsa maybe isn't happening every day, but like little snot-nosed kids are still spearing racist remarks in school that they obviously picked up from home. So there's just still a lot happening, and he didn't really get a win. Yeah, it's a really good point for you know how effective was he? Yeah. Um, as for me, um. I would have done what he did up until I joined the Minutemen. Um, I would have pretended I would have been on board and then outed myself as a black man in front of the cameras. Um, and I would express as eloquently as possible before they turn off the cameras, the injustices done to the people and share how dedicated I am to justice, no matter what the race. And I would hope that my live co coverage would get enough attention to affect some change so that maybe 
the whites that believe all black people are bad or caricatures can see, hey, this man, he's black and he's been fighting for us and for humanity. Maybe we should rethink how we view people. Um, similar to what Sesh was saying in terms of changing people's minds. Um, I would use that moment and reach out to people who do fight for just social justice at that time, because I'm sure there are some people out there. Um, we would team up and investigate the police. I wouldn't necessarily share my conspiracy theories yet. Um, that's something I would research by myself or with a trusted few. That would be my approach. Nice. Oh, I love that. That's oh, so smart. You. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Out yourself is <laughs> the justice for all. That's fantastic. It's such a good way to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so for me, uh, this is going to be a long one. So my apologies ahead of time. Sit back, have some popcorn, have some <laughs> drinks, enjoy, listen to the sweet sounds of my dulcet tones. So, yeah. So to answer this question, I think we need to establish what exactly justice is. And I'll begin with what we like to think justice is, which is having a fair trial in front of a judge and jury of one's peers and having uh, and declared uh, guilty parties serve a fair punishment for the crime regardless of their creed, color, gender, or standing. And while that not only sounds nice and serves as a backbone of our judiciary system while protecting our democratic freedoms, it's not quite the truth, is it? You see, if it was, while yes, we would be disappointed in a case not being decided in a way we believed it should be, at the end of the day, we'd appreciate the legal system and celebrate the legal proceedings as a shining example of our democracy in action. And while those who quote unquote win these cases loudly proclaim that is indeed what happened, those who quote unquote lose often blame a broken system, systemic bias, and in some cases even protest the system itself. And to sum this up even more clearly with an example, let's imagine a hypothetical case that I hope nobody ever has to experience, obviously, where a loved one or even a child has been murdered with the alleged killer witnessed on video standing over the suspect, murder weapon in hand. When you hear that debilitating and devastating news and you scream out for justice, you aren't screaming that the alleged killer gets a fair trial in front of a jury of their peers. No, you want that alleged killer punished to pay for their crimes. Which leads us to another point. What exactly is fair and just punishment for one's crimes? Hmm. Different states and even cities have different punishments regarding the same exact crime. So does that mean that committing a crime in one geographic location is inherently worse and more punishable than in a different location? And as for the punishments themselves, I do think it's fair to ask if they really are fair and just for the, uh, fair and just for the crime that was committed. Is giving someone, say, 20 years in prison truly justice for murdering someone? That void and loss created is something that the victim's family will carry with them their entire lives and something they will never get back. What exactly is fair and just? And how come is there, uh, is there a statistically significant difference and not only arrest rate, but also conviction rate with respect to race as well as wealth or status. Is this just a case of living condition, environment, or culture leading to a higher rate of not just crime, but obvious crime? Or is this a case of clear inherent systemic bias and systemic racism by the very system built on the foundation of fairness and equality for all? Each one of those 87 questions 
has led to spirited debate and essays and obscene amounts of research. But combined, they all point to a single answer, that the judicial system was not actually built for the purpose of dispensing justice, but instead was built as a system of control to keep citizens from engaging in actions that impose on another's freedoms and serve as an always present reminder of the consequences of breaking the law. In other words, the justice system we have in place is merely meant to appeal to the most basic level of Kohlberg's hierarchy of moral development, which is obey the rules to avoid punishment. So if the judicial system is not the justice we are really asking for, then what is? Well, another popular answer you'll hear is karma. We want the aggressor to karmically pay for their crimes whether by a higher power or preternatural force, by the judicial system, or even by our own man-made justice or vengeance. Perhaps not quite on the level of Hammurabi's eye for an eye, but close enough. We want them to suffer every ounce of the pain they put us through. And this is much closer to the justice that we're seeking. But that's not the whole truth either. Of course, it sounds about right. But in many cases, we want justice so bad in that moment that we will do anything to get that justice. And sometimes, as sad as this is, it makes us misremember what exactly happened hmm. or even frame new memories to resolve inconsistencies in our own head, which our brain purposely, purposely blots out and vagues out our worst memories because it allows us to get through the day. Did you know that of the cases so heinous and open and shut that they resulted in a death row conviction, that over 6% thus far have been overturned due to new evidence techniques proving not only that the convicted killer was not guilty, but that they were actually innocent of the crime? In other words, at least one in every 16 people that is put on death row was actually innocent of the crime they were wrongly convicted of. Wow. For lower profile cases where evidence is in even shorter supply, this percentage is, is significantly higher. So how is this possible? Added to that fact is that the vast majority of people released from prison, even those wrongly convicted, have an incredible difficult time finding work and living in daily society with people who simply, they don't want them there. As well, they're left with an ever-present stigma as now, especially with the internet, a presence and stain that will never go away. And many, sadly, find themselves back in prison soon enough. So that karma that we would supposedly seek, well, that, that's not quite the justice we're screaming out for either. No, really as sad as it is, the justice we seek out of, uh, we seek out is not karma but pain. We want every being to feel the pain that we feel when we go through loss and injustice to try filling that void that was torn away from us. We want those responsible to carry the pain and guilt with them for their entire lives. And we want those near and dear to us to empathize with us. It is why one of the worst things you can say to someone going through pain and misery is that you know what they're going through. Because the truth is you don't. Even if the exact same thing happened to you, it's different and will always be different because you won't have the same memories or feelings. 
And this is one of the toughest lessons you will ever learn when growing up, is that you will have a very difficult time being there for someone going through loss unless you have also gone through loss. You see, the justice we want is to go back to how things were before this tragic event, to make our shattered self whole again. And that is something that we can never get. And wow. so all that's left is the vacant hole in our heart and the pain that wails out from us. As such, the true justice that we cry and plead and beg for, we will never get. But what we can get is hope. Typically through the next generation or a child who doesn't know any better than to smile and be happy. Because in them, we see the innocence that was brutally taken from us and we do all we can to protect it. And we fill that void and that pain with the hope and the joy that they provide. And while we may never become whole again, we can become healed. So for hooded justice, no matter how many clan members he killed, no matter how many clan buildings he burned down, no matter how many corrupt and unjust police officers he strangled with a telephone wire, and no matter how many evil plans he foiled, he will never get his justice for what was done to him. But the closest thing he could have gotten is the hope and healing of a lifetime with his son and his wife. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> man. Do you think that's why um, he reacted that way when he saw his son go down the similar path, putting on the outfit and everything. He yeah. didn't want to break that. Absolutely. That That is my reasoning for what happened. It wasn't that he was overly abusive. It wasn't that he yeah, was overly I, angry. It was that he couldn't stand seeing his son becoming him because of what he went through. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Like it was more of a protecting his son reaction rather than anything angry about it. Um, I think he, like I, like I always said, he was a little dis disillusioned and probably shifted gears from trying to do the greater good to using uh, using bad guys to take his anger issues out with, um, which is a little bit more on the selfish side of things. Um, mm -hmm. I'll talk about that in a second. But I, I, I do think he recognized what he was doing was more selfish uh, than good for humanity. And definitely. Agreed. Did not want his son to get into that. Wow, you really broke that down into a lot of different levels. That it's very deep, and it's going, I'm going to have to think <laughs> think a lot about that. It's interesting that that that's the justice we want is pain. You know, I never thought of. You know, that's true. It's like you just want somebody to suffer and suffer so that, but you can't fill your your hole with that. You can't you can't feel lost. No, it's, it is. It's like, you know, taking the grains of sand, each individual grain of sand after a sandcastle is, is broken down. Yeah, you can rebuild it, but it's still not the same, the same you know. And so, um, you know, all of our listeners and viewers at, at home, as, as I said, this question to me was 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 very, very close, you know, to my heart with stuff and 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 um, need in need of analysis, because I think that, you know, a lot of us, we make our decisions and we make our choices based on our own beliefs and our own thoughts, you know, and the truth is when things happen to other people, mm -hmm. we aren't, we try to empathize, but we aren't quite there with them, you know, and it's, it's just, it's hard. 
So I have a question for you. A person that wants that known killer of their relative or or anything like that to suffer that pain and they never get that, will they suffer greater than a person who does see um, that nemesis get that pain? See, that I don't know because I know that there's there's no, from everything I've heard, there's there's no real solace mm-hmm. in it. The one thing um, that is true is that somebody who commits a, a terrible crime, if they are still alive, and especially if they're out there in public, mm-hmm. you're always scared about your safety. You're scared about something else happening again similar. Or you're worried about it happening to someone else. So at least when they're incarcerated or or if they're if they're killed, you you don't have to worry about that as much anymore. I mean, while they're incarcerated, you still do because mm-hmm. they can get paroled or they can be released early. Right. You know, but yeah, when they have that death penalty, you don't have to worry about them coming back. However, the ghosts mm-hmm. that you carry with you mm-hmm. of everything that happened, those those don't leave. You know, and you realize that while you were pushing for the death penalty, you were advocating for it, you wanted it really badly because you're like, this is going to bring closure. Right. The fact is there there's no closure. So there's the common view that forgiveness, you choosing to forgive the person will help you heal. What do you think about that? I think that's a tougher question. I think I think forgiveness actually is part of you yourself healing. Mm. Like I don't think you get to say forgiveness, like real forgiveness, mm-hmm. until until you yourself have gotten to a point where you not only accept what happened. Um, I don't think, for example, acceptance is the last stage of grief. Like, mm-hmm. like I've had a thought before that really like that final stage of grief, grief, I don't want to say is apathy, but it's, it's something akin to it where you aren't actively thinking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you have what's going on and you're like, listen, this happened. Mm-hmm. It was truly horrible. Mm-hmm. It hurt my life, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I can go on, you know, and right. so... The truth is, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure if you ask that to a lot of people, you're going to get a lot of different mm-hmm. answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all I know is that, uh, you know, aside for taking 30 minutes now to talk about this one question, which I'm sure you guys all at home are appreciating, <laughs> um, is that this is this is one of the toughest concepts that we that we really deal with, because. We like the idea of the justice system. We like the idea of incarcerating people for their crimes. We like the idea of of rehabilitating Mm -hmm. um, people who have committed crimes, even minor ones. But the fact of the matter is, once you've committed that crime, once you're known for that crime, once every time anybody does a Google search of your name, when you apply for a job interview, there it is. Like, you you don't ever get forgiveness anymore in a global sense Hmm. like true forgiveness the forgiveness that you're going to get comes from yourself really and you have to deal with the consequences like 
you know, and that's the hard part because to be honest, I don't, I don't think, you know, just the, the justice system or correctional facilities do a very good job of rehabilitating people, not necessarily because of what goes in there, which is bad, but also right. because of once they leave, yeah, it's almost like they're on their own yeah. they, with no support, no background, no job. You know, some of them, they aren't even allowed to live in large swaths of areas, Right. you know, and at that point, what is their real hope? If you have no way to make any sort of living, no way to make any sort of money. Right. You're a pariah. Yeah, exactly. And you're a pariah. Where are you going to go back to? You're going to go back to jail. Like, because that's the only place now that you feel like you even belong. That's so sad. To live the label and that's you know whether or not it was a correct label too right right and that that's exactly what i was saying earlier people have been wrongly convicted lots of people have been wrongly convicted mm -hmm. some of the worst crimes imaginable mm -hmm. and mostly we respond with uh oh wow you know the justice system is terrible you know and like but then a shrug of our shoulders like it, yeah. you know and it's like, wow, he got $300,000, must be nice. And it's like, he got $300,000 for being in jail for 30 years for a crime <laughs> that he didn't commit. Right. And like, he has absolutely I no... what a time travel machine costs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to do him any good. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's no future there. Yeah. Like, because again, if somebody sees his name online, they're going to be like, well, I could hire him, but you know what? I'm not oh. going to take the chance, you know? <laughs> And yeah, so, the news and the bad news is more memorable and stands out more. Exactly. Good. So, release is, you know, less people are going to know about that than convicted. Right. Right. And that's, uh, you know, not to continue this even longer, that's for the actual convicted people. Mm -hmm. Like, we have problems today where anytime there is any sort of allegation, against someone it's immediately plastered everywhere it's true and um you know in some cases absolutely uh, if not most cases it's legitimate but in many cases it's not they're false accusations and so then they have to live with those false accusations even though they're not they're not true and it's one of the reasons why with stuff like this sometimes the best thing we can do when hearing some terrible thing is saying this is this is terrible. This is devastating. Mm -hmm. I feel so bad for the victims of this. Mm -hmm. But let's let the police do their job. Right. Capture the evidence and let's let the legal system make a confirmation of that evidence before we start plastering it everywhere because it's so easy to ruin somebody's life. Yeah. Well, what's frustrating with that with social media is what will happen is a lot of people will hear one person sum up something that mm -hmm. may not be the full story uh right. or maybe just sum up other people saying exactly what the full story is what the truth ha is that happened and they sum it up but it morphs into something even bigger or lesser than what actually happened to because that's social media and that's how that right. ends up working yeah which is irresponsible and should be considered criminal at a certain point if it really affects the actual people's lives. I, I agree with that. I agree and with it's that. It's weird because we're in that weird stage where social media does and doesn't affect people and their real life right. differently. Like every single person 
it's extremely situational um, how much something might affect them that just happens online yeah, or how much of a social media life they even have. Right. Well, from there, we're going to go into our next question, which is at what moment did hooded justice finally cross the line in seeking justice? Um, let's be with Sesh. Well, uh, it, it's rough to say exactly where because the path he went down was basically the wrong direction from the get-go <laughs> um, for actual justice for every single reason you just said. Um, the, um, there was a justice to it for sure. Um, I, I, I think over time he could have killed less people, um, influenced in some way, like maybe even saying his costume was a reminder to every one of the horrible lynchings that he like literally experienced um, as my idea before you saying uh, your fantastic idea of him just outing himself as a black man protecting black and white people and everyone in between. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but nobody even talks about the noose around his neck as part of his costume. Like, that actually never comes up as a discussion. He just quietly kept using horrible people to take out his anger on. <laughs> like, there was no discussion. There was no, like, awareness um, in, in a way. And it, it was almost more selfish than it was for actual justice to happen. Um, like in real life, yeah, killing people is wrong, even if they like really deserve it. it it's wrong. Um, in movies, definitely, arguably less so, uh, <laughs> or, and shows, of course. Uh, so it's hard to say where, <laughs> when this fictional character crossed the line for me. But I think, in a way, that's actually really what the point of Watchmen verse is and one hmm. of the points of the show is trying to make. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I I think he crossed the line when he didn't allow for justice for himself. Uh when Captain Metropolis had him hide his identity as a black man, I think that was an act of undermining himself. Uh the world has hated him for who he is, but now he is agreeing with them um that he is less than and I think that's where he becomes invisible. I think all he has is his own sense of justice and admiration of the law. But if he doesn't include himself in that, then where is his strength to, to truly fight? Um, he fought and killed to discover the truth. But I feel like by the time he did that, he was no longer a person. He went into the shadows up until Angela Abar's time. Yeah, that's some really, really poignant thoughts. Um, you know, no, nobody said it in our group, but I, you know, I think the easy answer is when he sh shot the unarmed meatpacking Nazi and clan, clan sympathizer, but. <laughs> How often are you going to say that? <laughs> That's right. Meatpacking Nazi clan possibly, <laughs> possibly, possibly for another week or so more. Oh, okay, no. But, uh, but it's, you know, it just comes right off the tongue. Uh, but. You know, really, I actually think it happened the night he came home from being hanged and accepted uh, and accepted. And when he accepted what his wife told him hmm. and that the only way he is going to get justice is by wearing the mask. Hmm. Hmm. You know, for a child who idolized uh, Bass Reeves, uh, who, by the way, was an actual real person in history. Really? Look it up. Yes. And who uh, wanted to trust in the law and make sure there would be no mob justice today with every fiber of his being, this was the moment he truly gave up those dreams and the moment in which he lost a part of himself, he would never get back. 
you know, and the murkiness of the justice he gets only gets darker and darker um, from here. And you wow. see that all the time too, and um, especially in low poverty areas where you have kids, they don't wanna go into the gangs, they don't wanna go into the drugs, they wanna get out, they wanna escape. And eventually they get to a point in their age where they see everything that's going on around them. They see how they're never getting out. And then that's it for them, you know? And the truth is, is that for all of us, there are times in our life where we've been pressed with something where we're told we're just not good at something or we're not good enough or we can't do something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're kids, we fight it and we say, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. But eventually something happens and it breaks. And then once it does and you start going along with it, Mm -hmm then you never can do it again you know and that's that's humanity that's our that's our brain our brain is capable of like the most amazing things in the world but when our brain tells us we can't do something we can't so how i know i don't want to make this long <laughs> how do we stop like because that's the thing people always say like oh if only i could be a kid again or maintain your childlikeness as an adult i think that's what they're actually referring to yeah. the belief in yourself and your ability to do anything you put your mind to. That's what kids have to a certain degree. And then at some point, stressors make you stop, which is awful. Yeah. No, it, it, it yeah, the, really the is. The phrase is, uh, life is a fair, and then eventually you learn that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is. It's, it's difficult to even say, right? Because we've now gotten to a point where we believe in rules and we believe that, okay, what we know, we know, but we don't know, we, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, people learn new tricks all the time. You know, if you think about, you know, um, people who have grown up children going back, say, getting their college degree to start on something else. Right. Or, you know, I, I remember a story of like a woman, she turned 100 uh, and she went back to get her high school degree or her GED because it was important to her yeah so you know we're we're constantly in an area where we can do things we just have to break those habits of telling ourselves we can't we can't we need the and it's so hard we need the (laughs) that's what we use it for (laughs) absolutely enough probably pick up a few new habits and we might still be in it long enough to pick up some new good ones so maybe positive change there there we go there we go so our next question of the night and our last question is uh reviews and ratings of the watchman um sesh how would you review this episode episode six Uh well, uh, it's a little tough because as a flashback episodes are tricky, that's the thing. Uh, flashback episodes are usually boring, a boring, how do we get here, which is, again, boring and predictable. Mm-hmm. Or they go too far in the unbelievable opposite direction where anytime you see the people in the present, you know that they really should be talking about what we saw in that flashback, but they just haven't, but it was so fantastic and interesting that they should be and it just like never really comes up which is always frustrating and i see most flashbacks go one way or the other i feel like there was um 
a lot of this we may have known in some ways, but a lot of it felt right because so much of the episode is intertwined with all of the themes of the show and specifically the story it wanted to tell. Um, but one of the most important things as far as the quality of this episode is from a filmmaker perspective would be that it's the episode we've been waiting for. <laughs> there was a lot of anticipation for this episode. Literally since the first episode of the show, who is this guy? What mm -hmm. is his story? What is going on? And this is the episode that answers those questions. Um, I thought it was extremely satisfying for every single question that we were wondering about, everything we kind of knew, uh, but got more in depth with, uh, even if kind of hard to watch stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was a satisfying episode in that way. Uh, I felt like there were things we weren't exactly asking about that fell uh, flat. I'd say namely with his family. Um, mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of why was it like this? Why was it like that? What actually happened here? I, I feel like there were gaps that we didn't really get to see. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I didn't really have to be like that, but the rest of the episode was just really good it was really satisfying i felt like our answers our questions were answered in a great way to move the story forward while filling in all those blanks that we were questioning and so i, I rate i think probably a probably a 8.5 solid um, definitely solid <laughs> <laughs> For me, I, I feel like this episode was the meat and potatoes of the meaning for the Watchmen series. Um, this is what the purpose of the series is all about, uh, showing in a very artistic way the effects trauma and injustice has on generations of people and society. Um, it says so much visually, and it's well-timed use, uh, use of the showing of Angela in her grandfather's shoes was amazing and very mm -hmm. potent. Um, I think there was so much depth to this episode that it didn't need to depend on flashing around to different storylines like um uh like back out of angela's mind but rather sticking with that and, and i liked that it stayed there and and um kept its focus um they gave this episode what it deserved in terms of message and depth when i watched it the second time i picked up even more than what i missed the first time around um this episode was what art is made for, I believe. Um, it was mesmerizing. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a 10. Uh, yeah, historically dream and flashback episodes are some of the absolute worst episodes on television. Uh, typically they occur when either the show needs to conserve budget or when they need to revert to a prior point in time such that they can cheat their way out of bad writing or get rid of hated characters or plot points. They tend to be unoriginal, and they often insult the viewer's intelligence. This episode, however, was an incredible exception to that rule. The way the director was able to seamlessly intertwine Angela into Will's story and allow the viewer a novel way to experience injustice was a remarkable achievement. You know, before the pilot of The Watchmen aired, there was a significant amount of both consternation and controversy surrounding the show due to the inclusion and focus on racial divide and injustice. And in fact, this was one of the topics we spoke on in detail in our first Could You Do a Better Watchmen episode. Yes, that indeed was a shameless plug to re-listen to our first episode to increase our view count. <laughs> As we debated whether the series was worth watching. 
And this episode, as Sesh said, is the answer to that question. As Damon Lindelof and Cord Jefferson masterfully wrote a nuanced and realistic dialogue on the deleterious effects of hatred and racism and the vicious cycle it creates, all done without pandering to the audiences or forcing an agenda or for false narrative, which is honestly so rare in this day and age. Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, this was some of the best TV writing and directing I've seen and is, again, in my opinion, far and away the best episode of what has been a fantastic series. It is so difficult for me to give shows a 10 out of 10, as it always seems like there's something that can be improved on or fixed. But if this episode doesn't deserve that rating, I honestly don't know what does. This one's a 10 out of 10, absolute A plus for me, must watch one of the best episodes. Uh, Honestly, I'll go even further than this decade and go with this uh, this millennium. Wow. It, it was great. Okay, then answer me why his reporter wife didn't help him as a reporter to take these guys down. That's my one thing. That brought it down. That's a really good question. <laughs> I, it's it was a, such a good episode, but those, the family stuff was just... It was distracted me a little bit, but yeah, and the rest was fantastic. It was so well done, like hard to watch, well done kind of stuff. Like, but yeah. it's important to see. Yeah, you my, make a good point. I mean, the wife's reactions were a little weird. My my best guess is they ran out of time for the episode and had to cut something, that and sense. and that's what that's what ended up going. But no, it's a it's it's a fair it's a fair question. I mean, one could make the argument that that she'd already given up. You know, that for him, it, he was still on a journey at that point. Mm. He was still on a journey into who he was going to become. And for oh, her, she already was what she became, right. you know, and um, her view the whole time, actually, during the show was fairly constant. It wasn't wavering. Mm. You, you didn't see her real growth as a character either. But I, I think it's a fair point that you're making for sure. I mean, I'd argue that in the episode, like once he put on the hood and had his first night out, like that was the end of his character growth. That was just who he became. I think he had a little while. Like that's it's still it's an origin episode, so that's okay. But and it was still super interesting stuff. But I I do think there was a uh, yeah that night they uh, they were both a little stunted in this yeah. after a certain point. Well, it's interesting that she didn't have much growth because when everything happened, she was a baby. Right. So she wasn't as affected as he was by his need to find, you know, a way to find justice. Yeah. I mean, we also we also didn't hear her motivations for what she became either, That's which true. which also hurts because we, we didn't hear her side of the story. So I I agree with you, Sesh, that if anything, it seemed like this episode was too short. You know yeah. that that <laughs> Actually, they yes that that would be my complaint that yeah. that that they could have that they could have added to it and it still would have been outstanding maybe even slightly better because it would answer some questions that we'd have a little bit a little bit more but right. I mean for what it was incredible yeah that was that was a phenomenal phenomenal episode all right. Um, that is the uh, end of our podcast. Yeah, today. we went we went way over time on this one, but that's what talking uh, talking forty minutes about what justice is will uh, will do you. Um, 
it deserved it. It got justice. Yeah, no, no, it's true. It's true. It's true. I think we all could keep going on this one. Uh, But um, uh, we'll we'll have to call it at some point such that Mm -hmm. our our listeners at home, they don't... uh, They don't fall asleep in their bathtubs or anything. Oh, no. (laughs) Terrible. Um, But honestly, from all of us here, uh, again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, We really do appreciate it, um, you know, and uh, watching, and we appreciate the support. I think this episode, especially over any other, if you have any comments to make, your thoughts on, on the questions that we asked at all, We'd love to hear it. We'd love to read it too, because uh, there is a lot to digest in this one. And, um, you know, some deep, deep philosophical conversations. And all we ask is that whatever your viewpoint is, just, you know, respect the the other people. Um, and I mean, this was, this was phenomenal. Um, and uh, I, I know we all enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, in any case, now for the time uh, that uh, uh, our outro, uh, which is my favorite because I always get wrong when our next episode is and I never have it prepared. Uh, So just say yesterday. Just say yesterday, yeah. So our next episode is? Uh, It is May the 14th. May the 14th, that is a Thursday, a Thursday at, let's let's say, I was going to say, oh, yes, yes, Uh, I was going to say May the 14th be with you. Ah, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. At 8.30. At 8.30. Okay. uh, 8.30 Pacific now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 8.30 Pacific. So (laughs) let's go with 11.30 Eastern, 10.30 Central. 8.30 8.30 Pacific, um, PM, PM. And PM, yes. um, uh, we hope you'll all join us there. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. And, um, uh, you know, we look forward to doing this uh, next week again and talking to you about the next episode. This is a tremendous series. And um, thank you so much. Yes. So until next time, could you do it better? All right, bye guys. Mm